Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and I'm very excited to have Dr. Lisa with us today. She is a mum and public health researcher. The focus of her research is the design and implementation of health promotion programs. Lisa started Play Nourish Thrive while on maternity leave after recognising a gap of evidence-based info in parental wellbeing on social media. Lisa also has an online shop where she carries a selection of baby products that she has researched extensively and uses with her own baby. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being on here and having a chat with you about everything. I'm so excited to have this conversation. One, <laughs> as a mum who's only 18 months in, um, I still get confused. I still question my decisions and I still get blown away with half the, can we say crap? We're here on the internet. Um, so oh, it's my goodness. really nice to have a driving force that's there to sort of sift through that and kind of steer us in a clear direction. Yeah, yeah. I I hope I can be that person. <laughs> well, yeah. why don't you start us um, off with? Um, do you want to share a little bit about your your pregnancy and your birth story and sort of how you got from there to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm somebody who isn't super maternal. I've never really wanted to have children. Actually, um, I sort of. I was much more interested in seeing photos of people's dogs than their children <laughs> growing up. So the fact that I'm sitting here talking about motherhood is quite funny. Um, but, you know, I think as a kid, I thought, oh, you know, it'd be nice to get married and have a kid one day. Um, but as I became an adult, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but of course it is now. But um, I can talk more about that later. But, um, but when I met my husband um, and we sort of fell in love and, and everything it's almost like you know my my fingernails wanted to get pregnant like everything about me was like yes now I definitely want a baby and I think I don't know if that was just my body reacting to being in a safe environment with somebody who was awesome and yeah and then we went from there um so I was actually pregnant um 10 days after we got married um which sounds very organized but we were actually trying for a few months before then I I had a wedding dress that I could sort of have a belly in if I needed to so um we weren't too fussed about exactly when we were would fall pregnant um but yeah my pregnancy was pretty good um I had the first trauma trauma I almost said trauma (laughs) then first trauma first trimester like morning sickness which as we were laughing about before lasts all day um (laughs) and I was sort of pregnant during the bushfires that we had in Sydney a couple of years ago um and so I was still traveling into work and feeling very nauseous and sorry for myself um with everything that was going on and that was before I think it was just before COVID just before we might have been just getting whispers of COVID at that point (laughs) so so yeah so my first trimester was a bit bit rough but um, I was very lucky. The second trimester felt much better. And, and I think you were the same, weren't you, Jade? Um, it's sort of the energy came back and you started to feel yourself. And First 12 weeks, I <laughs> felt like a zombie. Yeah. And I didn't even realise how awful I felt until I started feeling better. Yes. And it's yes. like I just crawled out of this cave and yes. I had a personality again. Um, <laughs> and, of course, you're is. hiding because it's too early to, well, people have different ways around things I I wanted to wait until people announced it um quick super quick story I love coffee love coffee and um you know drink black coffee all day long all day at work and it become a bit of a theme in our office so of course I'm pregnant no one knows about it Mm -hmm. and the smell of coffee made me want to throw up Mm, but of oh. course if I let anyone have any kind of inkling that coffee was <laughs> disgusting me that was a pretty big sign so they're bringing me coffees and we're doing a little morning ritual and I'm trying not to gag oh, and I remember like hiding my coffees behind the computer so no one would recognize I hadn't drank it um but oh goodness I had no idea such strong sense of smells and food deterrences could kick in so early I know, right? I was at about four weeks and I was like, oh, God, I can't. I just, I can't, I can't do this. Um, I think that um, I've always been very in love with women and realised the strength that women have. And then I got pregnant and then it just went up (laughs) another 
10 rungs and I thought women do this all the time like hiding their pregnancy and and just working and pretending like everything's fine and yeah it's just amazing isn't it absolutely yeah because emotionally too it's so um intense yeah I I just remember that intense feeling of I'm so excited and I'm so terrified because this magical miracle is happening (laughs) in my stomach but what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if it doesn't work yeah. out? What happens if I, I damage something or do something wrong? Yeah. Um, and even that's really weird to navigate. I've never mm. had such emotions happening at the exact same time. Were mm. you like that in your first trimester as well? Yeah, it was very intense. Um, I had very strong emotions. Um, and I talk, I'll talk a little bit later about my journey through my mental health, but I probably should have been getting access to mental health around that time to sort of work through some of those things because it's just so intense um you just feel things like you've never felt before and you're mm-hmm. up and you're down and it's really hard to um work through those big feelings sometimes you know mm-hmm. um yeah so I was exactly the same so there was one time when I was cooking and um I felt my belly get a little bit warm because I was standing next to the stove and then I cried for the next hour because I thought that maybe you I'd hurt it. my baby or something oh. or I know and rationally I know that they're safe in my belly and they've got all that fluid and it was and but your okay. mind does funny things doesn't it mm-hmm. and there was another time I fell down in the bathroom I was fine but I just fell on my bum and everything was fine but that was enough to set me off for an hour of crying as well and just thinking oh my god like have I damaged my baby and yeah so it's just intense man (laughs) it is absolutely and um you know I think I remember watching a YouTube of I don't even know what I searched I just remember watching this girl who was I don't know eight weeks pregnant and she got food poisoning so she was vomiting nonstop for 24, 48 hours and the whole time she was just bawling her eyes out, not only because she felt so sick but because she thought, I'm, I'm going to miscarry, like this is way too intense for a tiny little fetus to hang on. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Um, but everything, everything worked out fine and obviously that was her experience but I remember watching that video at the perfect moment because the message at the end was our bodies are so resilient like they want to carry this child exactly and sometimes you just need to hear that like you're not as fragile as what and obviously caution always of course yeah your body is so capable and so well prepared for this um absolutely but we never think to look into these things until I guess we get that positive test and it's like, oh, my God, but I've got so many questions now. And <laughs> how do I answer them? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so I got to second trimester and um, my mood lifted. I felt quite good. Um, and then near the end of the second trimester is when COVID really started to hit um, Australia and Sydney, where I live, um, and things started to shut down. And that was a little bit weird, but... Um, I was traveling an hour and a half to work every day. So um, so the fact that I could now work from home was actually sort of a blessing in disguise. Um, so, and, we, and I sort of treated it as an opportunity to spend time with my husband and my dog before our whole lives would change. So we'd be going for walks in the morning and the afternoon when I would usually be on the train and the bus, um, feeling very sorry for myself with my big belly. It's such um, a long commute, an hour and a yeah. half both ways. Yeah. So three That's hours of travel. You, isn't it? Wow. Um, yeah. So um, that was sort of a blessing in disguise. And I was able to do my work from my computer as a researcher. I was able to do everything here. So it was okay for me. Thank goodness. Um um, yeah, and that was that was pretty good. So as I started to get um, bigger and into the second trimester, I could only go for a walk once a day. That's about as much as my body could handle at that point. Um, and the hospital that we were at actually sent around to say to everybody um, to self-isolate from 36 weeks onwards um, because you don't, I, they just didn't know about COVID at that time. It was still early days. And I think they were just being very cautious to make sure that you know, what happens if you or your partner has COVID and you, you're giving birth, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So just to avoid that. So then my husband was working from home that whole time and that was actually a beautiful opportunity to sort of just be us and and have some fun and relax before the baby came. Um, and so I worked up until the day 
that she was born because she was born 37.6. So, um, surprise. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> so she came a little bit early, um, which is which is fine. But um, she was still um, full term at that point. Um, but I had five meetings that day. Um, so, I, so I had to quickly... Um, email everyone and say oh I think I might be in labor so I probably won't attend the meeting today <laughs> and it's pretty funny I actually don't particularly enjoy meetings so I, I thank my daughter for getting me out of it <laughs> so it's so weird I had the very textbook sort of labor at the beginning at least I my waters broke which apparently isn't very doesn't common. happen yeah, same yeah. thing happened with me and I oh, always really? thought that yeah I thought that was how how the story goes like your water breaks and you start progressing and um I've since learned that no that that actually isn't normally the way things go and I got quite lucky that my body kind of knew what to do and how to do it um, and it makes a lot more sense now because when I went to the hospital, uh, the nurses just kept saying, are you sure your water broke? Are you sure? Yeah, are you sure? Are you sure? Let me see your pad. Pull down your undies. Let me see your pad. Let me see yeah. your pad. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I swear I've had 20 litres gush out of me. Like I did not wet myself. And if one yeah. more person, like they were lovely, but in my mind I'm like, if one more person asks me, like <laughs> I know I've never experienced it before, but I am certain that is exactly what happened. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, like, I'd love to talk to second-time mums about their experience in the hospital and whether or not they're questioned as much as you when you're a first-time mum about these things. Because, yeah, they definitely gave me that as well. They're like, are you sure you didn't wear yourself? Um, and it's a bit patronising because yeah. it's yeah, like, it is, for anyone who hasn't experienced it, like, it is so much water. Yes, yes, it's huge, isn't it? I remember feeling that because I was it was 1am in the morning and I, I felt water gush and I instantly hold on because that's what you thought was happening yeah. and I'm holding and it's still going and I'm like yeah. oh oh this is different <laughs> oh wow this is not a wee <laughs> exactly it's exactly. not rocket science <laughs> oh, but yes so please funny. continue <laughs> it's so funny what becomes normal uh, when you when you're pregnant and have a baby isn't it you just talk about wee and poo mm. and everything and it's completely fine <laughs> I said I actually had that conversation with my husband the other day after changing so many crazy nappies over the past yeah. 18 months you know some great some hectic um yeah. wee and poo just isn't I'm totally desensitized wee poo totally. vomit breast milk totally it's just it's it's, it's whatever isn't it <laughs> yeah it means nothing to me now <laughs> and I get because oh, he'll he'll change nappies sometimes and he'll be like oh, oh, like that. <laughs> that's that reeks and I'm like really I can't. I, I just can't even smell it. It's yeah. like there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> it must be an evolutionary just... thing. That's really good. That's right. The senses yeah. just shut down. Oh, look, I'm grateful for it. I don't want to have to smell it unless I have to. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, so my waters broke at 8 a.m. Um, and I went into the hospital to get my waters checked to make sure that it was, in fact, my waters breaking. Um, and she took one look and said, yep, that's definitely your waters breaking. Um, and then they said, okay, so we'll book you in for an induction for the next morning um, just in case things don't progress. But it is interesting how the first line is a sort of the more medical model as opposed to have you tried some of these more natural ways of getting progressing labour and things Can like I that. ask, did your contractions start soon after? Yes, they did. So, and I even said that to the nurse. I said, oh, I think I'm going to have this baby today, actually. <laughs> Oh, no, I find it so interesting like, you said yeah, that because that, yeah. uh, I, I went into hospital early because they Kasima wasn't moving and at that time of morning she's normally kicking up a storm and they said, yeah. oh, look, we'll come in and check. Um, condensing the story down, the first thing they offered me was an induction but within yeah. the next couple of hours. Really? And, yeah, and I said to them, like, my, my water broke naturally. Her heart rate was erratic. Um, yeah, yeah. My, pelvis was too narrow so every time I had a contraction her heart rate would skyrocket uh, and then it would drop really fast okay. um and they said oh we should probably speed things along um and luckily I had learned that I have the power to say no and I have the mm. power to question intervention Absolutely. Um, and I there was no reason for them to really justify the induction so I, I said no no thank you like I'm progressing yeah. I'll wait and yeah. see um and yeah I just went like that's the conversation you had 
different timeline, but you'd think that they delayed that conversation. I mean, your water broke naturally, your contractions have started. I'm assuming you're quite well because so far you haven't sort of said anything was stressful or intense or any of those sorts of things. So where did they lead you from there? Yeah, so um, I sort of had to wait in the waiting room while they were organising my induction for the next morning. And I often forget about that because it never actually happens. So, but yeah, it's just, I just always reflect on that, that it's interesting that that was the only sort of advice that I was given Mm. was, we'll book in an induction. It wasn't, oh, maybe let's go and try go for a walk or try and relax and all this kind of thing, like Mm. other things that to, you know, up the oxytocin and get things going in different ways. But that's just sort of by the by. Um, but, yeah, so um, I was sitting in the waiting room and I could feel my contractions sort of starting to come and go and I got my app out and started counting. And um, my student midwife happened to be there, so I went through the public system um, through midwifery care, which I absolutely loved um, and I'd love to do that again for the next baby. Um, and she was there and she felt my stomach and she was like, yeah, you're starting to do, starting to have contractions. Because up until then, I'd only had Braxton Hicks. So I, I didn't know anything really. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. didn't know what a contraction really felt like other than Braxton Hicks. Um, and so, and I just knew it. I, I was like, this baby will be here by the end of the day. Um, and also we didn't know the sex of the baby. Um, that was going to be a surprise for us. So I'll refer to her as her, but we didn't know. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so um, we went home from there. So my husband and I were walking down the hallway of the hospital and I had to stop every, I don't know, 10, 20 metres and sort of go through a contraction. And then, and I was still in a really happy mood and my husband's like, oh, maybe we should stay at the hospital. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. And I was still happy. So I knew that I was in early labour. I knew mm-hmm. that it was okay that we could go. And we went past our favourite chicken shop and I, and I got this huge burger and it's the only thing my body wanted was this big burger and it must have been the fat, the carbohydrates, the protein, the peri-peri Some sauce. fuel, some <laughs> fuel into you. We've got a marathon ahead. Absolutely. But it actually, um, when we got there, it took them 40 minutes to make the burger because there was just so many people there. So I was actually walking back and forth for that 40 minutes. So my contractions went from... Um, I can't remember exactly, but it was like 30 seconds or 40 seconds to over a minute um, and becoming really quite regular and intense. Um, and this was by about one o'clock or maybe 12.30, one o'clock. So my waters broke at eight, eight. and yeah. this is by about 12.30, one o'clock. And then we got home and I had um, organised to watch season four of The Office. I don't know if you like The Office. Um, I've only seen a few episodes sprinkled, but it does make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, but that's the season that Jim and Pam get together. So it's so it's a beautiful season and I thought that'll be brilliant for my oxytocin. <laughs> I watched 30 seconds of that episode <laughs> before I had to leave the room, before I had to get down onto my knees and just work through those contractions. They were getting intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about 2 o'clock that my husband called the hospital and said, I think my wife's in a lot of pain now. Um, can we come back? And they were like, oh, is this her first? Yes. Maybe just leave it for an hour. See how you go. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, you know, the good girl. I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll stay at home and work through. But I was screaming. I screamed this baby out. <laughs> I was not one of those calm women who breathed and took over the pain. The pain was taking over me, man. <laughs> um, I don't know what my neighbours must have thought, but I was really going at, going for it. Um, and about 15, 20 minutes later, my husband had to call them back and say, no, we're coming into the hospital now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was only a few hours after we'd left the hospital. Um and we got there at three o'clock and I had my daughter at 3.14. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Holy moly. 14 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So I could have very easily had that baby in the car. I could have very easily had that baby at home. I reckon I was transitioning when we were getting into the car because I had this six-minute contraction 
it while leaning over the car and it just wasn't going away and I could feel myself getting very like agitated you know when you're transitioning you start to feel like oh my god what's happening and I reckon that's what that's what was happening because in the car I could feel that pressure on my bottom mm-hmm. um but yeah when we got to the hospital um the midwife checked me out and said that I was six centimeters but a stretchy eight so yeah and then 14 minutes later she was she was here so it's incredible so it's like because you know that's one thing we're told that nothing's really going to happen until you hit that 10 um but just as you shared that story I so Cosima ended up being an emergency c-section just because of all the stress going on um yeah but before they declared that I had a six minute contraction wow and like this is the this is the first I've heard someone ever talk about it to be honest so I'm generally learning as you share that um and I just remember it's almost I'm not going to say I passed out but I just remember I disappeared somewhere else yeah because I was very aware of the contraction I just remember that when it started there was only my husband and one nurse in the room and when it ended, there was about eight or ten people in there. And that's purely because when my when I had contractions, Cosima's heart rate dropped of down course. to 50 or 60, like really dangerous levels. Yeah. Um, but and for that long. So it was like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? Um, but when they did the internal, because I said, look, we want to just double check to see where you're at before we take you to surgery. Um, and I, I was fine with that. That made perfect sense that they needed mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, she said I was only at four centimeters. And um, I just remember thinking, wow, like only four. And yeah. it had only been seven hours since my water broke. Yeah. Like it wasn't a long time by any means. But um, just how the nurse said that you were six, a stretchy eight, but then obviously mm. you were obviously. able to give birth within 15 minutes. So yeah. Yeah. How, how valid is that 10 centimetre must? But yeah, I don't know. It's a I'm really just good question. Yeah. thinking as you say that, um, obviously I wasn't ready if I was only four centimetres, but I just wonder how accurate that measure is. Um, yeah, and what causes that long, long contraction because it's such a long time. Yeah, because I, I think it's rolling contractions. I think it's just your, your cervix is just opening up like crazy, so you're having one after the other, but it just feels like it's that l- a really, mm. really long one because there's just no break between it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a really good point. So either my body just went from that. Mm, it just six, jumped up. To 10, yeah, or, yeah. Or I might have given, well, I, I don't think you can give birth if it's less than 10. I don't know. Um, mm. Maybe you can. No, but, that's what they always, they always say, and I, it makes yeah. perfect sense that, you know, the more space the better. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a little bit scary. Um, so the room that I was in had a bath, which was mm-hmm. actually part of my birth plan, um, that I was unable to communicate to the, to the midwife because of what was going on in my body. But um, she, she, it happened to be there and she said, do you want a bath? And I said, yes, absolutely. And I got into the bath so she had time to fill it up. And I felt down and I thought either my vagina is prolapsing or there is a it's head right there. And I got my husband to feel, but he had no idea either. <laughs> he's probably so just he's, overwhelmed. He's like, what? what is going on? My <laughs> wife is screaming. She's in a bathtub. <laughs> So for my husband, he's gone, he's dropped me off at the front of the maternity, uh, the labour ward, run, um, put the car, because he dropped me off in like the parking area in the front, um, parked the car, got all our stuff, come, I'm screaming on this bed. Um, and then he's he's got jeans on because it was the middle of winter. He's then running between the bath, in between contractions, cr- trying to support me while I'm going through the contractions, while trying to put boardies on so that he could get into the bath. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. that would have been just, so troubling yeah and and his and his wife's there like screaming um yeah so I think about that all the time but but anyway the yeah because I was like this is going I remember thinking like this is going really fast when I was mm. in the bath and I was actually screaming against my contraction which is really quite strange I think because I didn't trust that my body was ready to have the baby I didn't trust what do you mean by you were screaming against your contraction I was almost trying to stop the stop Mm -hmm. the pushing stop the contraction because I could could feel that pressure on my bottom 
but I was trying to stop it because it was just going so fast and I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if my cervix was completely dilated, Mm -hmm. if I was going to do massive damage to my vagina or anything. Like I didn't know. Um, And, but my, I was just on this roller coaster um, and my body was completely in control. So there wasn't really anything I could do. So I always Mm -hmm. think about when women are told to stop pushing and things like that and, in my circumstance, there was no way I could have yeah, ever. Yeah, your body just took charge. It just took charge. Um, and, yeah, and then her head came out. But the midwife had left the room to go get some mood lighting because I was a first-time mum, so it's going to take a while. <laughs> she had left the room to get mood lighting. And my daughter's head came out and <gasps> I was holding her head. Oh, my goodness. And she comes back in and I said, the head's out. <laughs> And um, she quickly put on her gloves and um, and helped me sort of get the rest of my daughter out on the next push. Um, so effectively, I birthed my daughter, which is sort of wow, um, yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel very proud of myself about that. Not that I had much control over the situation. But... So, for everyone listening, this is the first time I've heard this story. Just like it's the first time you're hearing it, and my my hands are on my face, my eyes are about to pop out of my head. I. Holy moly. So, and also unmedicated. Yeah. Well, I had some gas. That's about as all all that I could get. So I had gas when I was on the bed when she checked me. And then when we got into the bath, there was a gas thing there. But my husband's convinced that it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember on the bed when I was sucking, I felt really woozy. I felt like I'd had 10 champagnes. Yeah. Um, But I'm not sure that that really helped for me it just made me feel woozy and out of it um maybe it helped me breathe because mm-hmm. I was ha- struggling to like sort of breath in yeah, yeah but other than that it didn't really um do much but yeah there was no time for anything else <laughs> like there's no chance I would have had an epidural or anything in that time no. um but going through that I 100% understand why women go yep give me give me all the drugs absolutely <laughs> <laughs> So I wonder if that's something that changes dramatically in hindsight because yeah. I remember doing my birth plan and, I, you know, I had my, the LED little candle lights because obviously you can't have mm. real candles yep, and had. I had a general moody kind of music selected and I love the smell of peppermint essential oils so I thought, oh, I'll get some of that going and I'll yeah. have the water birth and, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my birth plan didn't even make it into the hospital room, yeah. let alone any yeah. of that because of everything and how quickly it happened and whatnot and yeah. um but I do remember they I had to take off the tens machine which oh, I think is fabulous yeah, and I actually I had no idea how much it was working until I had to take it off yeah and I took it off because yeah. they were going to give me a needle that um apparently was going to stop my contractions up until the c-section oh, okay. uh, but the needle didn't work so they told me to take off this machine and, um, oh. yeah, those contractions, I think, doubled in their intensity yeah. as soon yeah. as I took that off. Um, but oh, I rough. just remember, you know, I think they were meant to take me straight through to surgery, but it maybe took 40 minutes. It was a while. And um, and at that point, as you described there, the I didn't progress anywhere near to the level you did, but I just remember the contractions were longer they yep. were heightening in their intensity yep. and the more they happened the more I was starting to think when when will they stop like yeah yeah um, absolutely I wanted to experience them I've experienced them I <laughs> don't think I want to do it anymore <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah I'm like all right and then they kept saying I oh, will come back in and we'll give you gas or whatever and I just said oh look if I'm going to surgery soon it doesn't doesn't really matter like just take me through um yep. And I just remember the surgeons and and the anaesthetists, I think that's how you say it, were lovely. And I was just about to have a contraction when they went to do the epidural. And I said, oh, no, 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 have the contraction first and then we'll go. And um, suddenly they've done that injection. And I just remember those contractions stopping, my Mm. personality come back to life. And suddenly I was like, oh, like this baby's on the way. This is so exciting. I can't wait. And part of me was scared because I wasn't sure what was going to happen when they delivered her, given mm-hmm. her heart rate and everything. So there was a fearful aspect, but I will never forget when that epidural kicked in. Oh. And I was like, oh, I understand when women say 
like that was the best decision I ever made because yeah. suddenly yeah. I have the epidural, I'm in bed with and my husband and I are watching telly, we're talking yeah. about the baby that's on the way, it's fun, it's exciting um, because it's quite isolating and I, that's something I never really thought about. When you're having contractions, you mm. are not worried about anybody else. Mm, you are so point. just in your own zone, how do I process what's going on, how do I keep pushing through, how do I just, how do I interpret all of these internal signals that are going on? let alone if you're having communication with uh, medical staff. Yep. Um, and then just in hindsight, it's like, oh, I can actually understand that now because if I had the epidural and I was to have a, um, a vaginal birth, I, I can see that. It's like, yep. you know, you can just wait. It's like, yep. oh, you know, enjoy that time. Absolutely. Um, but prior to experiencing that, I don't think I would have been able to comprehend it. I would have yeah. sort of been like, oh, but don't you want to, like, feel the contractions? And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still that way. I still think, you know, it's an incredible thing to of experience. Course, like, yeah. contractions are magic. Like, yeah. wow, they're just, yeah. you never knew your body could do something so intense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I hear different stories now and I'm like, I never would have seen them in the light that I see them in now. Now women are like, oh, I'm having my second or my third. As soon as they're going to let me have the epidural, I'm going to have it. And I'm like... <laughs> Congra- yeah. Go you. Go like, if that's what you're going to yeah. do. And then others, like, unmedicated water birth. I'm like, yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. Either yep. way, it's amazing. But, exactly. um, but I just find I'm so much, I can almost giggle at the idea of someone saying epidural straight away. <laughs> but previously, I would have been like, oh, don't you want to try a little bit? Yeah. Like, don't you want to see yeah. if you can do it now? It's, um, but yeah, it's funny how things shape shift and, yeah, and change. And yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate for informed choice. As long as that woman, knows the pros and cons and makes a choice that works for her fantastic that should be celebrated a hundred percent whatever it is absolutely Um, birth and breastfeeding too because that's a tricky one for a lot of women to navigate yes definitely definitely um yeah so yeah so with the breastfeeding um yeah, I, I was going to talk about something else, but I've forgotten. It might come back to me. You mentioned but, um, that your daughter had just been born, I think, and the head yeah, was out yeah. and then your husband. Yeah, so then I brought her up to my chest um, and then the second midwife ran in because you're supposed to have two midwives, <laughs> but there wasn't time. <laughs> the second midwife came in um, and they both were like, oh, what, what, is, what is it? What, what's the sex? And I, and I remember saying, I don't care. Because <laughs> I was just in another world. Of like, I was just, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And then um, one of them, I think, was just really curious. So, like, lifted her up and we were like, oh, it's a girl. We've got a daughter. Just such a beautiful moment um, yeah. for my husband and I. Um, but, yeah, I talk about the birth being really painful and me screaming and all this kind of stuff. But it was actually the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time when I was in it, I thought I could never do this again. <laughs> I could never put myself through this. But in hindsight, like I, I now absolutely just absolutely adore my body. I think it's absolutely amazing what it was able to do, building that baby and birthing her and, and nourishing her. And yeah, I'm going to cry just talking <laughs> about it. So yeah, it's just, I'm just, again, like my, my love for women went up again, a few notches after after going through that no matter how they birth a baby um mm. it's just all beautiful and amazing that we can do that I can totally relate to you on the appreciation front I um so I, I have a history of eating disorders and body dysmorphia mm. and things like that and uh, that's sort of how the, the podcast started yeah but um I do remember the shift happening even when I was pregnant just watching my stomach grow and feeling yep. kicks and you know I just I had one of those pregnancies where I just felt so, and I didn't know the gender either. Um, so I just felt so connected to this baby before yeah. we had even met. And I just remember thinking like, how is it possible? There's this tiny little human just growing in my belly. Mm. And, um, and I thought those emotions couldn't get any stronger. And then when she was born and I saw her, mm. I just remember being mind blown, like absolutely <laughs> mind blown as to how, how, how magical is that that mm. we can do this and mm. bring these tiny little humans into the world and yeah. um, nourish them and care for them and you know the transformation we take as mothers from the moment they're born as well um I just remember so many feelings of like love and protection and it was like something just got downloaded within seconds yeah. Yeah. and 
I just remember thinking I'm, I'm not the person I was 10 minutes ago. And it's a really weird feeling and it's a positive one. It's absolutely a positive one. But I just remember like certain things in my brain just unlocked Mm. and they were probably always there, just never accessed. But as soon as I saw her, I just, I I couldn't believe the mental and physical transformation. Um, And then ever since then, I do see my body and other women's bodies in a Mm. completely different light where there's these incredible machines. Um, even to the degree where I used to be a bit, I guess, prudish around birth. Um, mm, interesting. You know, the idea of watching a birth happen and things like that. Like I could, I could watch it and things, but overall, I, I'm not like why. I don't want to see all that. And um, now, all of a sudden, I've got these Instagram pages and seeing mothers in labour or babies being mm. born by C-section or breastfeeding mums and everything in that sort of bubble. I'm just in awe watching it, and I'm yeah. Yeah, and that perception exactly of oh, it's a bit, it it's a bit day. bloody, it's a bit weird, it's a bit like oh, you know, you just pushed a baby out of your vagina. Like it, there was a bit of a taboo to it. Yeah, and it could purely be immaturity. Like you know, in high school, that's what it's all gross and yuck and whatnot, yeah. and then that kind of stayed. But then, after having my own child, suddenly if someone's pregnant or if someone's given birth or if I I see a birth on social media, I'm just like oh wow. Yeah, like it's I'm so exactly incredible. Right. It's heartwarming. It's exciting, um, and that's such a big why shift. People become birth doulas um, because it's just what a privilege to witness a woman yes, giving birth. Absolutely, like, yeah, incredible. yeah. I've thought about it so many times. Like, oh, I should have become a midwife. We do right now, but um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's, our bodies are so incredible, and if only we learned to value them as much as we value them I before know. that, because there's so much joy in that. And know. you know, whether you just decide to become a mother or not, our bodies are still so incredible. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, having having a child definitely brings that all to the surface. Yes, yes, because yeah, when I was younger, like most women, I was very preoccupied with how I looked, um, calorie counting, going to the gym for ridiculous amounts of time and just really focusing on the outside and trying to be as small and as compact as possible um Mm -hmm. and I'm probably the biggest I've ever been now but Mm -hmm. I'm love my body yes yeah and I feel healthy like um just because I'm a bit bigger doesn't mean that I don't feel healthy like I've got great function I can walk I can move I can Mm -hmm. nourish a child like all these amazing things you know um and that's something to be celebrated and I might just have a little bit more of a stomach but like mm-hmm. what does that matter you know when the scheme of things like just because I'm not hot to some guy walking down the street like who cares what he yeah thinks, you know? yeah and it's that um, time allocation too it's like you spend so yeah. much time training and dieting and that's all you think about for so long and yeah. don't get me wrong there's there's some times of it that you love and enjoy and I find that could be the pattern when you're in your early 20s why so many women are prone to it it's because our careers haven't properly developed our maturity isn't completely there um we see people in the magazine and we see that you know shredded abs is a positive thing so that should be the goal oh and i love training and that works hand in hand yeah Um, yeah, it's like you sort of don't know what you don't know and then all of a sudden it it gets really addictive really quickly and Mm. you know all those sorts of things start to happen Mm. um but then as you gradually make those shifts and life changes and you see the joy that comes from allocating your time to different things and even if that is as simple as just being present with your loved ones yeah it's like oh you know what i i am in a bigger body but this Mm. life brings me so much more joy than the old Absolutely. one ever did. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It is. It's so I special. I think that's why they say that um, women in their 40s and 50s, they're like you just become more self-assured over time and just you just care less about what other people think about you and more caring about what you think of you and looking after yourself. And mm-hmm. and I definitely feel that. I'm in my early 30s, but I'm already feeling that, that I'm I'm caring more about how I feel on the inside rather than how I look on the outside mm-hmm. so much more than I did 10 years ago. And do you um, find your mental health has improved as a result of that? Because yeah. suddenly you're being like true to your authentic self versus trying exactly. to impress every single person under the sun regardless of whether you know them or not. Exactly, 100%, 100%. Um, and kids don't care as well. Like babies <laughs> and toddlers, they don't care that you've got anything on your body. Like they're just, no, they just they just want, want love. love them. Yeah, that's all. 
Mm-hmm. That's all. So my be- my my belly. My daughter is discovering her belly at the moment. Um, yeah. So she pats her belly. Um, <laughs> so cute. And so I pat my belly as well and go, oh, this is mommy's belly and that's your belly. And yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful to do that. Like 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, really ashamed of my stomach, you know. Yes, um, so interesting you mentioned that because um Kasima, I was lying down on the floor last night and it's only ever happened one other time and she'll like pull my top up and she'll start playing drums on my stomach yeah. and obviously like I've had a child my skin's softer and yeah, um yeah. it it makes funny sounds and it wiggles like it's it's not this six-pack abs that I had back in the day yeah and um I just had fun laughing with her, you know, and she'd mm-hmm. stick her finger in my belly button and it was hilarious. Like she's just <laughs> thought I was a toy all of a sudden. And yep. I just remember lying there laughing at her, being like, this is so much fun that she's having so much fun. Um, yep. But just what you said, oh, if anyone had have touched my stomach years ago, regardless of how lean I was, it's like, no, 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 no. Like that's such a, yeah. like, no, don't, don't touch, don't comment, don't, don't do any of it. And now it's like, oh, you know, it's the softest it's ever been. and it was a fun experience like yeah and yeah. it was nothing more nothing less than fun um, exactly. there was no exactly. sort of thought of a diet later on because oh no she noticed it was squishy it's like no she she had a ball like I hope she does it again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly and such a beautiful moment of connection between you two as well yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um how did you find the first few weeks months of motherhood yeah so um so I did not like being in the hospital at all. Um, it was okay. So the first night was fine. So my daughter was 2.45 kilos at birth. So she was technically low weight, just just under that low weight. So she had no fat on her. Um, and, yeah, and all the doctors and nurses would come around and say, oh, did you, did you know that she would be low weight? And we don't really know why she was low weight. Mm. Um, and we were like, oh, we don't know. Um, and that sort of put a little bit of fear in us that she was so delicate and small. Um, mm. And um, she ended up in the NICU for the, and it was only for 12 hours for early onset jaundice. Okay. Um, and it, it feels like she was in there for ages. I think time stands still in the NICU. So I can't imagine what it's like for families mm. with um, babies in there for weeks and months because, yeah, she was only 12 hours and it feels like she was... Like you had this baby with you for nine to ten months and then all of a sudden they're not with you anymore. It's just just such a mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just bizarre. And, um, yeah, so that was okay. And I'd learnt to do antenatal expressing, so I was able to express for her every three hours and go down to the NICU and drop it off and and sort of watch her for when I probably should have been getting some sleep. Um. But she she came out and she was fine and everything was okay. And then we were able to go home on when she was about three or four days old, I think. Okay. Um, but I had that second night. I don't know if you had the second night where they just want to latch onto you and they just cry the whole time and just want to be on you, which is totally 100% normal. Mm-hmm. But I, did, I was not prepared for it. And at that point in time, I wasn't particularly a great advocate for myself as well. I sort of been a very independent person who did everything on her own um, other than my husband um, and not very comfortable asking for help so Mm. having this baby on me who was so tiny who'd just been in the NICU who and I was terrified of falling asleep and dropping her and her dying so I was just constantly thinking about that you're terrified those those awful Mm. thoughts going through my head and then she finally was happy to go into the bassinet I think it was 6 a.m in the morning my husband was due to come in at 8 a.m at um at visiting hours and I was just sitting in the chair basically rocking like like I was a crazy person and I'm sorry to say crazy but um no but it's like you you were so overwhelmed with everything that you had to process let alone the sleep deprivation yeah and sometimes all that nervous energy it's like all you can do is move it's like I I don't know what else to do because I can't sleep and I can't walk around and I can't like I need something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm like, I'm stuck. I'm kind yeah. of stuck in this mind. Yeah. And I hadn't had any sleep, but I just couldn't sleep. Mm. I was just wired. I was wired awake. Um, and my husband came in at 8 a.m. on the dot. I think he was even 7.58 a.m. Nice. Um, and he was like, all right, I'm, I'm taking over now. You you get some sleep. And, and because he was there. Um, you could settle. 
I could settle and, mm. and have some sleep. And then the next day we were going home, which was just fantastic. So I was like a cage bear in the hospital. <laughs> I did not enjoy enjoy yeah. that. But it, sort of with the NICU, it was kind of a necessary thing. But, um, yeah, so when we got home, it was fantastic. Um, the first week was it felt like almost felt like heaven on earth. Um, I just basically was in the room that I am in now, my bed, with music playing, my top off, breastfeeding her, just trying to just go back to basics, connecting with her. Um, yeah, and that was just absolutely beautiful. But I think things sort of started to go downhill from that point, I think. Um, I still had those sort of racing thoughts were coming in because she was so small. I was very, um, and turns out my husband was the same. We were very concerned about her, you know, basically living. Um, mm. Sorry, I might cry. <laughs> no, take your time. Um, so, yeah, like we were thinking, we just couldn't imagine her as a school kid or an adult woman because, um it just felt unbelievable that something so small would be able to grow up into an adult. And now as this bubbly, happy one-year-old, I can think about it all the time, which is fantastic, which is such a beautiful change. Um, and, yeah, um, I just need a second, I think. No, no, take, I was, I'll, I'll just ramble a little bit and you can. Yeah, um, go for it. <laughs> so I, I guess the, the overwhelming emotions when that baby's first born is that, you just so naturally want to honour and protect. And I'd imagine when some of your first parts of feedback from medical staff has been, why is she so small? Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the, not the worst, but it it wasn't very well thought through from the medical professionals because suddenly all you've got in your head is why and yeah. you're a new mum, new dad, and there's a lot of things you don't know the answers to because you're not meant to. You're meant to learn as you go and exactly. something like weight at that small, they should have been giving you direction as to, oh, look, you know, she's so tiny. Let, let's give her some formula top-ups. Let's do this. Let's do that rather than this why blank space. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'd imagine that that question and not knowing the answer must have just felt almost so, oh, now I'm going to start crying, stop it. <laughs> um, uh, like, like, no, no, <laughs> um, like soul shattering because mm. you just want the best for this tiny little human that you've just brought into the world. And absolutely, when you don't know much, but you know that the weight's down, it's like uh, as much as you love and adore them, you're just clutching onto this, but why, why are they that size? Like, why yeah. are you yeah. going to grow? Yeah. Is, am I doing something wrong? Is, is enough milk coming through? Is, do I need to do formula? Do I need to... Like, yep. this, can know, someone just tell me specifically what to do and I will do it? You just want somebody to give you that book. Isn't it that baby. just like motherhood in the first few weeks? It's like I, yeah. um, so my, Kasima went through nothing like you and your daughter went through. Super simple thing. They kept addressing that she had a tongue tie. Yeah. And that as a result of that, she won't latch and she won't do this and we might need to snip it and da 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 And I thankfully just tried to not overthink it and I just said to them at the moment everyone's saying that she's latching fine she's feeding fine if we get to a position where she's not feeding she mm. can't cry properly or her tongue's not moving around we'll assess it but until then let's just put the brakes on and mm. every time someone come into the room it'd just be like oh she's got a tongue tie oh, and I was God, like oh yeah. and and again, it's, there's plenty of people who have got tongue ties as adults and can't even yeah. stick their tongue out, and they're fully yeah. functioning, healthy adults. But yeah. the, yeah, I just sometimes don't think they think their execution of statements very well. And, and you're so vulnerable as a new mum. Yeah, and I, I was questioning, like, well, should I snip it now? Am I doing the wrong thing by not snipping it? Da da da. da. And it, it turns out she's she's just fine. She ended up feeding fine. She's rambling <laughs> a million miles an hour. Um, yeah. So while my the, those statements had nothing to the intensity that your experience had, um, I could just imagine that those those sentences, those questions, just those sleepless nights, them just drilling through your brain, and not, and obviously they're not you're looking at her 24-7. So even if she was growing, you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. You're just holding this tiny little beautiful baby girl. Yeah. I think in this conversation is the first 
of that connection between the fact that they were saying they were asking us constantly about her size and then me us being really afraid of it I've never put that together so thank you (laughs) my pleasure thank you for sharing the story I mean it's it's hard to share those kind of emotional moments but um sometimes the connection can give us closure so Mm. I hope Mm. you get a little bit of that (laughs) thank you Jade um yeah so um so with breastfeeding, I was very similar to you in that before having her, I said to myself, you know, if if we breastfeed, that's great. If we can't breastfeed and we go to formula, also great. The baby will thrive and will be perfect and it'll all be good. Then I became a mum <laughs> and I don't know what happens, but my desire to feed her was just so strong with my own body that even though it hurt and it was painful and I actually didn't enjoy it for the first eight weeks. I just kept doing it every three hours or every one to three hours, whenever she wanted it, we were demand feeding. I just kept doing it. And I think part of it was her being in the NICU as well and being separated from her. Mm -hmm. And for the first six hours, I couldn't feed her. I I could only, I could only express and then give to her. Um, And she was having formula in the NICU. So it's not like she was completely, and she was fine. So, so I had evidence to show that she would be fine if she was a formula fed baby. And yet I was still so like fixated. fixated. Like you just had to. Yeah. I just had to. And maybe that's the mammal in us. I don't know. Um, could be. Um, but yeah, so at about two weeks, we introduced a bottle of pumped milk. And that was one of the best decisions that we did because my husband could then feed her at night and I could have five to six hours of sleep in a row um, and then we'd swap shifts and then I would then feed her from then on. And that was, that was something that was real, that worked really well for us. And fortunately my baby took a bottle because I know not all babies take bottles. Um, Yeah. And I think with with the next baby, I think bottle first day (laughs) probably formula um in at night time so I can focus on myself getting getting adequate sleep and rest so I can be the best mum that I can be because um I think I put myself aside isn't this the story that we all tell we just put ourselves aside and we just focus so much on the health and well-being of our baby that we forget ourselves and um and that's why I'm so passionate about parental well-being and caring for the parents so then they can care in turn for their for their babies in a way that works for them mm-hmm. um but yeah so I really didn't like breastfeeding for the first six or eight weeks so it was painful the whole time mm-hmm. um and I can't tell you why um in the hospital similar to you the nurses said oh she's got a tongue tie um but we went to a surgeon when she was about six weeks old and he said it's not, it's, there's a slight tongue tie, but it's not worth doing any, even snipping it. It's not worth it. Um, which was kind of, kind of devastating because I'd been experiencing pain this whole time and I still didn't have an answer as to why. Um, but I went to a really lovely lactation consultant at a, about a week later from that appointment and she couldn't really tell me why either, but she just she was just listened and was empathetic and that was all I really needed to keep going um Mm -hmm. was just somebody to go yeah it's really hard um well done you for making it this far and and then I kept going I don't (laughs) it's so emotional isn't it it's just crazy yeah it's um it's a well in the breastfeeding so Cosima was the one of the little beauties that wouldn't take a bottle yeah um yeah and I, I don't know. I think maybe if I had have introduced the bottle sooner, I might have changed it because by the time I think I waited six or eight weeks because that's what the midwife advised. Yeah. Um, that it was like, why would I want this plastic when I've got you, mum? Like I've got you here all the time. Yeah. Because if I put right. that bottle near her lips, she would scream, like angry, yeah. as in like, yeah. get that away. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I love breastfeeding and the connection that we formed, but there was – when you're the only one who can feed them that's Mm. so much pressure not pressure like it's 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 impossible to sleep it's absolutely impossible to sleep and we co-slept and I'm very glad that we did because that allowed both of us to sleep she could just feed as often as she wanted I just have my top off and we'd be on the couch together and 
you know, they're clever little humans. They just mm -hmm. find their way. And obviously I never got into a deep sleep, but at least it was enough that I could just relax and she could feed. And yeah, yeah, that, that was our, our little balance. Um, but I do how did that feel how did in terms of your sleep deprivation and things, how, how did you cope with that? Um, that that was enough for you? I think it's almost like I went on autopilot. Yeah. It's sort of like you, you don't have a choice to not yeah. get through it, so we'll yeah. just soldier on. Um, yeah. Seaman used to wake up every three hours up until she was about 13 months old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was in and out of her room, and I think we I was on the couch with her for four to six months because yeah. unless I was upright and her on my chest, she wouldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and... I, I think that's where, the you know, if I told my maternal health nurse those things, they would rip me a new one because I'm going to kill my child and SIDS risks yep. and all that sort of thing yep. and you're going to roll it on her and crush her. And I can tell you now there is no way I would have ever, and don't I know it's easy to say because it didn't happen, but I was asleep enough that I got rest, but I was not asleep enough to not know if she even moved her pinky finger. Yeah, like yeah. you just you know, and um, sleep's so important. So mm. how can you possibly say put them down and then listen to them scream and mm. and and mm. that was one of the trickiest things to navigate. Um, she also used to stay awake from ten p.m. to about four a.m. in the morning for months, mm. wide awake, just. And I used to be, and I think that's something that you learn as a new mum is that yeah. you need to let go of what you think the cycles should be and just yeah. learn your baby cycle because yeah. I remember being so upset and like why isn't she sleeping I have to be doing something wrong like this yeah. isn't right and my husband's going to bed because like I need to feed her what there's no point in him staying up late he's got to go to work and all those yeah. sorts of things and I just remember one night I'm like, why am I trying to get her to sleep? Like, she doesn't want to. Mm. And I turned on Netflix. I put on a TV <laughs> show that I remember all my girlfriends used to watch in high school, Gossip Girl, and I never watched it because <laughs> it's a mind, like it's a nothing show. And I'm, yeah. so I'm just, I'm just going to watch it. Yeah. And my nights become so much easier when I just stopped trying to have this perfect routine. Yeah. Um, and there you go. You did what worked for you. So isn't that fantastic? Yeah, and I, I, if I've got any message to any mum, and I'd love to hear your take on it, it's you yeah. can learn as much as possible in regards to like sleep hygiene practices and mm. feeding practices, mm. and you know it, it's it's good to have knowledge and information mm. at hand. But at the end of the day, you and your baby will work out your rhythm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the rhythm I had with Kasima is going to be so different to the rhythm that you had with your daughter. Yeah. Um, and highly likely if I have another child, it's going to be so different again, likewise with you. Yeah. Um, but there's so much pressure, um, especially with a certain way. To do it a certain way. And I I think I would like to introduce a bottle a little bit earlier if I was to have a second to just mm -hmm. see if we could explore that so that you know, I could get some rest. Mm. Um, but that being said, you know, even if she took a bottle, I was so I need to look after you that I'm not even yeah. sure if I would have let anyone feed her anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's one thing to, oh, it would have been nice to have the little bit of distance to get sleep. But I was very protective and like just just let me hold her. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, when my daughter was a week old, I went for a walk, just a really quick, short walk around our neighborhood and I think I left for five minutes and I had to come back like the drive to just be with them is mm. just so strong yes and I did you used to hear your child crying even though they weren't yeah oh no. I remember yeah. my husband saying hey just take 20 minutes like just go for a walk just do something and I'd leave out the door and part of me would be like oh, I really need this like I really yeah. need just a moment and then as soon as like two minutes in I'm like this is just as painful because I can hear her screaming I yep. can hear her. It's ringing in my head. Yep. And I'd come back in or I'd message him going, like, is everything okay? And, like, he'd send me a photo of her asleep. Like, there is no chance. She's crying. Mm. But I just, it was just better if I stayed home where I could see her mm. and tried to relax next to her versus leaving the house and forcing myself to do something when all I could hear is a screaming baby. And yeah. it's not like a, a baby hungry cry. It's the screaming like they're hurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we're working against millions of years of evolution that kept mums and babies together 
in order to, for the for our species to survive mm. um so it's really hard to to just turn that off and be like you know what i'm going to go to the pub for three hours that'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> I definitely won't think about my baby being tired. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just not a thing. <laughs> no, and I just remember hearing other mums be like, "No, definitely take some time out, or you know, just go get your yeah. hair done, go do this, go do that." And obviously, lockdowns changed that. But honestly, even if lockdowns weren't happening, I, I don't think I had the capacity to do it. I had yeah. the support system. My husband would have looked after, well, within reason, because she wouldn't take a bottle. But um, <laughs> yeah. but that was the other thing too. It's like, can I leave? Because what because I did demand feeding as well. Yeah. What if she's so, hungry in half an hour? Or and an she, hour? he yeah, won't be able do? to calm her down. Yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of feel like you love your little love bubble, but it's yeah, it's a weird weird space to navigate. But do you, mm. you mentioned the painful breastfeeding, and I always say how much I love breastfeeding. And but just as you were saying that, I'm like, oh gosh, I remember there was two mm. or three weeks where oh. It was painful, mm, mm. and um, I'm not sure what made me push through. I just did. And I've never thought yeah, about it until you brought it up. I just don't remember there being another option. It was just like, oh well. I guess this is me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I remember the latch. It was like late ra- razor blades at one yeah, point. It's just like, totally. oh my god, she's gonna rip my nipple off. <laughs> my only working theory at the moment is that my because she was tiny. She wasn't the tiniest baby, but she was still really small. That her mouth was just small, and it just mm. needed to get a bit bigger. I think that yeah, to latch. Best. Well, but that's what they say. Well, that's what I was told anyway. Was if um, you're having painful like breastfeeding sessions, it could be because they're not getting like the outer circle, so not your actual yeah. nipple that outer bit. The outer, um, yeah. yeah, that's right, and and I guess that makes sense because that area of skin isn't really sensitive. Yeah. Um, yep. I had engorgement. Oh, I, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm. Oh, um, I would rather have oversupply than under because I enjoyed the breastfeeding, but I that was another tricky thing to navigate was because mm. I couldn't feed her if my boobs were too full. She couldn't latch because mm. it was mm. too swollen and um, so there'd be milk everywhere. She's crying. I've yep. got to pump half of it out so that she can latch on. And I think back to those moments and it was just this massive juggling act and I'm so thankful we didn't have visitors and things like that coming over because Mm. already I never thought I'd have the capacity for my husband to see me like shirtless half of the time (laughs) and with a a baby on my chest but it got to a point where it's like no this is the only way stuff's gonna get done this is like I need easy access tops I need nursing bras that I can unclip whenever I want I need towels because honestly the milk is going everywhere um it's so raw raw was the word that I always thought about in those first few weeks like Mm -hmm. you just realize how much of just a mammal you are like you're just feeding your baby you're still probably bleeding every Mm -hmm. hormones are going like crazy yeah and yeah it's just raw and did you feel like your mind was just such in one direction I remember thinking how you know normally you'd go for coffees and have chats and all those sorts of things and it didn't even enter my mind to do that it was just very much feed the baby make sure the baby's sleeping change the nappy um and I guess that's where that sort of primal thing comes into it you literally are just so hardwired to like it's it's game on let's just do this and do it every single day and night until you know they grow up and we can have our hands back again (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely yeah I was exactly the same just yeah just take care of this baby just watch her like when she was sleeping during the day I would just sit there there and watch her like just watch her breathing you know go up and down up and down and I was just so terrified like her head might go this way and like she was in a safe area but I was still so afraid that something might cover her face or Mm -hmm. whatever like (laughs) no I I can totally relate. Yeah. So so my daughter had um, colic, which I think mm, was a result of reflux. So I'm not sure that you can really call it colic when there's a reason for it. Um, but every time I went to the doctor with her, the doctors were sort of like, you know, every baby vomits. So, you know, but I was mm. like, did they like vomit 1,600 times a day? <laughs> oh, but love. it was weird because she was putting on so much weight. She was gaining weight like crazy, which was fantastic. I was going to say that must have helped. Yeah, because we were obviously we were so focused on her weight and monitoring it and making sure it was going up. So even though I was experiencing so much pain with the breastfeeding, she was still putting on weight. So she was obviously getting fatty milk. So, yeah. okay. 
tick, tick, tick. Tick, tick, tick. Except that I was struggling and nobody seemed to care about that, which was a bit weird to me because you, I was an important part of that relationship mm. in the breastfeeding. Um, and, yeah, and I was really struggling with a lot of those types of things and the thoughts that were going in my head and in the breastfeeding. But I didn't really have at, it, at that stage anyone that I could really talk to openly about it. If I would start to talk a bit openly, I'd sort of get those looks like, what are you, what's wrong? You've got this beautiful baby, like what's wrong mm -hmm. with you kind of thing. And I really felt shut down by that. So I think with my Plain Irish Thrive Instagram page, I like to keep the conversation open and not tell people how they're supposed to feel, but provide an environment where it's okay to not like being a mum sometimes it's okay to love being a mum sometimes so like it, it's really hard sometimes and this is a place where it's okay to talk about these things openly because you are important too if if the parents aren't cared for then who's taking care of the baby you know Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening in to this episode with the awesome Dr. Lisa. I have split it up into two parts as it was getting quite lengthy and as you could tell, we could chat for so long. Um, so the next part, you are going to hear about all of Dr. Lisa's evidence-based research and how she helps parents deal with this new stage of life and also for early childhood development. I hope you tune into the next one. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to follow along on Instagram and also share this podcast and any of the others with your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening.